inventory management, stock control, warehouse management. Whichever words we use about this, it's hard to make them sound sexy, isn't it? Surely we should just focus on creating TikTok videos because that's the latest platform and the latest Amazon ad types to spend money on. Well, sadly, no. Amazon inventory management may not sound very sexy, but let's try some words like profit or how about cash in your pocket or how does seven figure exit grab you? If these sound sexy to you and if you're a sane, normal entrepreneur, they probably should, then mastering Amazon inventory management is actually as sexy as anything else in your business. In this episode, we continue with getting back to mastering e-commerce operation basics, which drive your profits and thus by the way, driving your business value if you choose to sell it as well. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the amazing FBA family. Like the 10K Collective masterminds, this podcast is for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and meanwhile want to enjoy the process, keep listening. So why is it important to get Amazon inventory management right? All systems managing products need to manage inventory well, and that's especially true of physical products. But if you sell on Amazon, the sheer sales velocity that it generates in many cases make it really vital for you. It's a classic case really of balance sheet management. So you can make the same sales with lower working capital. That means less money invested. You can have stronger cash flow, meaning it's safer, and it means your business is more likely to survive. And you can also make more sales, a lot more sales, and therefore a lot more profits if you get it right. So those are huge wins. Nailing Amazon Seller Central inventory management is mission critical. And so is managing your inventory on a broader sort of canvas as well. So what can go wrong with Amazon inventory management? What have I seen? What have I experienced? What have you maybe experienced? Well, there are two big potential pitfalls and let's examine each. The first one is having overstock inventory and the second one is having out of stock inventory and both have serious consequences. Let's look at overstock inventory first. That means you've got too much stock relative to your sales velocity. So if you can move a hundred units a month and you have a thousand units in your FBA warehouse, or for that matter, 500 units in your FBA warehouse, 300 at home in your garage and 200 on the water on the way from China, for that matter, you're still overstocked. The amount of money tied up in stock is not proportionate to the sales. At least in that example, you've got 12 months worth of stock, probably excessive. Now, what is excessive stock? That's a personal thing. It depends on how much capital you have to allocate to your business. Plus it depends on the view you have of how difficult and how time consuming it's going to be to get inventory out of China, for example, under COVID, it was very difficult in 2020 and 2022, we're experiencing lockdowns in China. So there are many nuances to this, but let's keep this simple. If you have too much stock by your business's standards, by the standards of your capital and your sales, then it has many bad effects. And here are some of the effects. Firstly, the working capital needed for a product line shoots up. If you have already got to import from abroad, it's going to be high anyway. If you import something for that says a lead time of say three months, so it takes a month to manufacture from when you put the money down and two months in the water and then getting freighted around US, for example, and then getting sold by Amazon. Let's say it takes three months from beginning of order to being able to sell. 
and you want to sell it through in three months. Well, that's already an average sort of in stock time that you're tying your cash up in stock here, four and a half months, roughly, maybe it's five, depending on what your maths is. So that's really going to shoot up the value. If you have to have that in stock for 12 months, it's going to really increase the money that you tie up. That means cash can get to very low levels, which is very dangerous because if you run out of cash, it's game over for your business. You may have to borrow more, therefore, which will increase your interest costs. And of course, the more you're leveraged or borrow, the more you could be increasing risk as well. Really importantly, if you're wanting to grow your business and you have excessive cash tied up in stock that isn't moving overstocked as a result of incorrect stock management, then it will stop you redeploying that capital into a new product line. I see this a lot, particularly with the early stage businesses, but not only quite established businesses just have a lot of money tied up in stock that may be unavoidable, but mostly it is somewhat avoidable and sometimes greatly. Another thing to say is this, the whole management of inventory is part of your cash flow management. So we can talk about this another time in more detail, but broadly speaking, there's a thing called the cash conversion cycle that happens in any business. And it's really central to the management of any inventory based business. That is to say this sort of thing you and I are in private label products or custom products selling on Amazon. So you turn cash into stock and then you, you get the stock made. You get it on the water that's still in the form of stock and then you turn it back into cash. And if you've made a profit, you can reinvest more cash in the same stock, or you can reinvest the same kind of amount in, in stock and just replenish the same amount and use the spare cash as growth capital to, to fund whatever your next growth ploy is, probably new product lines, possibly advertising spend, possibly new other things, team members, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you get the idea. The cash conversion cycle is really important. If that is broken or inefficient, then your business as a whole is not very efficient. That has other effects. Well, first of all, it's not such a good business for you to own. You have to put more money in. It makes less return on investment. That makes it less lendable from a bank's point of view and more risky or anyone who is going to lend you money, anyone who's intelligent enough to understand anyway. And it makes your business less desirable to own for you and less sellable to anyone else who's going to become the new owner if you sell it. So really getting overstocked in an out of control way, as opposed to by design with correct capitalization is a big problem. So let's look at the opposite extreme for a second, being out of stock. That's sometimes misunderstood just how extreme the effects of this are. And the reason is simple. That's because these losses don't show up in any kind of standard financial document. And even so, the loss is real, it's opportunity cost, but it's really sometimes huge. If you have insufficient quantities of inventory on hand, it's worse than it sounds because it can lead to lots of issues. Here are a few of them. First of all, you have weeks of zero sales on a particular product line, which means obviously zero profit. And if you're overstocked and you reduce the price somewhat to move the stock, well, at least you've got some cash flow coming through, even if you're selling at break even. And if you're selling at a slight profit, you've got profit and cash flow and sales, right? The sales ranking obviously is dependent on you making sales and conversions. So Amazon will reward you with ranking, keyword ranking, and in other words, where you appear on search results in response to particular keywords. And you will disappear from the rankings if you go out of stock and that product may not get back to the same place or if, it, if you can get it back there normally it will cost you quite a bit of money in the form of advertising and possibly reduced price whatever you need to do to get it back up the rankings 
obviously all of this lowers the growth of your business, sometimes substantially, and that growth that you've lost will reduce the future exit value of the business. Let's say you get your business to an enterprise, to an EBITDA in three years time, having grown under compound growth with an efficiently run system, and you get it to a million dollars EBITDA. So SDE, otherwise known as the pre-tax profit. Then you multiply it by a multiplier up, say, four times. Let's take a stab at what it might be on average in four years' time. And business is worth $4 million, and which will mostly be put into your pocket at the time of sale, or you may have an earnout, whatever it is. That's money in your pocket, broadly speaking. If you've messed up on the way, you're probably still going to grow a business if it's good. But let's say you get to $750,000 in EBITDA times the four multiple. Well, suddenly you're looking at a business that is worth about a million dollars less because of what you did three years before and went out of stock and thus slowed the growth of your company. You can create cash that you could then reinvest in stock, etc. Are you with me? So the effects of going out of stock are magnified over time into the future. So it's extremely worth getting this stuff. Okay, so I banged you over the head enough of why it's incredibly important. I'm sure that some of you out there going, Mike, I know this. I've experienced the pain. Help me to get it right. So there are a few different things you need to be able to do with inventory management. Forecasting in industry is not a quick win if you insist on doing it yourself. That's one reason why I've dwelt so long on why it's so critical to get it right, because you're going to have to spend time or money, maybe both. You're going to have to spend, even if you're early stages and got a few handful of product lines and maybe ten, twenty thousand $20,000 a month in revenue, you're going to need to spend some time each week on it yourself. Or you'll have to hire somebody competent and pay good money. And over time, as you grow, you'll probably do that. Or you may use a high quality software system or even external parties to manage it, particularly when you've grown beyond the sort of startup phase to say healthy six figures or low seven figures per year. But you're not yet big enough to want to hire a full-time team. So there is not really a shortcut, but it does depend where you're at in your business growth and the size of your business makes a difference in how to deal with it. And we'll get into more detail in the next podcast or two of how to deal with it yourself, depending on which stage you're at. But today I want to talk about the big picture of inventory management, because it's worth really educating yourself about this, because it's a skill set you're going to have to master insofar as you ever sell anything with an inventory management necessity. So roll your sleeves up and let's get learning. So early stage businesses with under, say, a few thousand dollars a month in sales may need to do manual stock management. In an essence, you're deciding two simple things. One is when to restock inventory into whichever part of the supply chain. So when do you want to get stock made? When do you want to get it shipped to the US, for example, UK, wherever you sell? I'm assuming you manufacture in China, but the same thing applies with shorter lead times if you manufacture in the UK, sell UK, same difference. And so it's the when question. And then how much stock to get manufactured, how much stock to move out of your third-party warehouse into Amazon, or you're even out of your bedroom into Amazon if you're just early stages. So the when and how much questions are really the ones we're trying to answer, which seem like simple questions. And relatively speaking, the questions are simple, but getting the answer, well, it's a kind of black art and a science. So let's talk through what the factors are in inventory organization. So there are four basic factors that I'm going to talk about today. There are some other things we can discuss. The first one is inventory organization and stock tracking. We've got to think about forecasting sales. 
So by the way, stock tracking is sometimes called inventory control or stock control. Forecasting sales using historical data, which is also tricky. Safety stock and lead time. So those are four basic concepts we're going to try and get our heads around today. First one then, organization and tracking and stock control. So knowing how much you have of any product line and where it is are the two basic questions we're trying to answer, but it can be surprisingly hard. The basics for any system can be broken down in different ways, but I find the easiest way is to break it down in the supply chain from beginning to end. So for beginners, or if you look at this in a relatively simple way, which I try to, it's going to be something like this. First of all, work in progress. Well, in fact, it could be raw materials. Most of us don't buy raw materials unless you manufacture yourself. I have a couple of clients who do some manufacturing, but they're more on the assembly than raw material manufacturing end. So that's mostly a problem for your suppliers in China uh, or wherever they are. But you need to be aware that when you give them the money, they're probably going to go off. And if you give them a deposit, 30% traditionally do in China, they're going to go off and buy the raw materials. So it is part of the lead time. And if you're taking, if they're taking ages to produce your finished products, one of the reasons is probably because of a shortage of raw materials, which has been an issue for many products over the last two years now. And in 2022 that I'm recording this and uh, may well continue to be the case in some areas, for example, a massive world shortage of low end microchips, which I don't see going away anytime soon. So the raw materials is the first thing that affects lead times, but you don't need to stock control. You don't need to know where all the raw materials are normally. Okay. Work in progress in factories. You don't need to know exactly where it is on the assembly line, but you do need to know that you've given somebody for a $10,000 order, a $3,000 deposit, for example, and that the goods are being made. Finished goods that are in transit to the warehouse. So once they've been passed through quality inspection, that's really important. So stock on the water, as people often call it, if it's being shipped by sea, which a lot of things are for cost reasons, then that's really important to account for that. A lot of people are pretty vague about that. And that's really not good. If you use Amazon inbound shipping directly from somewhere like China, using a partner sort of program and various things come and go, in the Amazon ecosphere, you can actually get that inventory sharp against your available inventory in Amazon sometimes. But even if they don't do that, or if you don't choose to be quite so strongly partnered with Amazon, you need to make sure you account for that. That's really important. The next thing is inventory in warehouses or a third-party prep center, a 3PL, or even your home, wherever it is that stock goes to before it goes to Amazon. Now, there is an argument that you could go straight to Amazon from your Chinese factory or wherever your factory in the world is. I know people who do that. I think you should never be doing that with new stock, by the way, or a new supplier. So when I say new stock, what I mean is a new product line that hasn't been totally proven and or a new supplier, in my opinion. That said, people do ship direct. Most of us break the stock. The other reason to break the stock is to make sure you don't get the inventory performance index dinged. In other words, you don't get punished by Amazon for having too much stock in the Amazon warehouse. Okay. And the, the rule of thumb there is you want a sell through rate of one, which means you sell through all your stock within three months or less. So that's another reason why you want to have the stock potentially outside Amazon. So just to summarize raw materials, we probably don't need to worry about work in progress in factories. We need to know that we've given them money and they are at some point due to give us products. Finished goods in transit or on the water to, to warehousing, very important. 
inventory and warehouses, 3PLs, prep center, or even your home if you're starting out, your garage, and inventory in the Amazon FBA system. All really critical things to keep track of. So you can do this with by hand with a handful of SKUs if you've got a hand, literally a couple of handfuls, say 10 of them on a spreadsheet. So I would suggest that once a week you check in each system or with each supplier how much of each product line or SKU is in which locations. By the way, get the facts, don't assume or guess. <laughs> They're often not what you think they are. Within the Amazon system, by the way, you can go delving into Seller Central and download reports in the inventory management system it tell you exactly where your stock is, which warehouses and so forth. Unless you have a lot of stock in FC transfers, they call it. So fulfillment center transfers being moved between fulfillment centers within the Amazon system. I'm not sure that I would over micromanage that unless it's showing up a lot of problems. Like you've got a lot of people in certain parts of the country complaining they've got slow orders or something like that. I personally not seen the necessity in the early stages to do that so you can keep it relatively simple and the simple version is work in progress in factories finished goods on the water inventory and warehouses third party seller third party logistics 3pl warehouses and inventory in the fba system if you want to keep it simple so check the facts it is a lot of work you can already hear from the things i've just explained that it does require diligence and if of course weekly is a minimum if you've got a fast moving situation where you're selling hundreds of units in a week when you'd normally sell tens because it's got into your q4 your peak season for some sporting goods or camping for example right now is peak season as we're recording this in july guess what you got to monitor it more often so let's talk about seller central inventory management managing the inventory Within the FBA system is important. I've talked about the IPI score, and that is basically where Amazon's constantly judging how well you're using their warehouse space. And you get a score out of a thousand, called the IPI score. And if it's too low, then it can slam your ability to ship stock into the FBA system, particularly when you really need it. The irony, of course, um, then is that exactly when you need your warehousing in the FBA system, in other words, when at peak times, is of course when they're least likely to give it to you because that's when they're under pressure from everybody else. Okay, so that's just one of those things you have to look out for and you need to keep an eye on that and you need to get a sense of how crowded the Amazon FCs are. Now, there was a period in pretty much from mid 2020 all the way through till maybe late 2022, 2021 maybe, that Amazon had insufficient capacity for the demand. I would say they have over capacity now, which is for us as sellers good that doesn't mean it will necessarily be true by the time Christmas 2022 rolls around, for example, or in a year's time, because they will probably cull some staff and make some efficiency savings. They do have shareholders to, to manage the expectations of after all. But I would say that we're probably in a better shape there than you have to be a little bit less paranoid than you used to be over the last couple of years. But keep an eye on that and keep a sense of that. Talk to other people who are sellers, your peers and get a sense of the IPI score. To keep your IPI score in track, you need to check your Seller Central account pretty much, again, weekly, at least for, number one, your IPI score. If it goes below the magic number they give you, sometimes it's 500, sometimes it's 400, sometimes it's 450. They seem to move the, the bar quite readily. But if it goes below whatever the critical number is for Amazon at a particular point, you start getting your limitations. But keep an eye on returns, removals, 
inactive SKUs, that's really important, stranded inventory. So inventory that is not attached to a live listing and you have no mechanism for selling that inventory so that you keep out, out look out for that. Make sure that you either remove it, get it removed by Amazon to your third-party warehouse or your house, or that you get a listing that works and sell that stuff. And then also keep an eye on SKUs with a turnover under one, as I've mentioned, that's taking more than three months to sell the inventory through. That is in the FBA warehouse. By the way, I'm not saying just as a blanket simplistic statement that you should have only three months worth of inventory in the country or available at short notice. That's not what I'm saying. But Amazon's within Amazon's FBA system, you should be very careful to not have excessive inventory. And for them, that means anything over three months worth of stock. Now, of course, depends on your sales velocity, what constitutes three months worth of stock, right? If you're selling a hundred units and you have 300 units in your warehouse, you're all fine. And then of course, if the sales velocity drops for a couple of months to 50 units a month, you're somewhat overstocked in the eyes of Amazon. And you just have to manage that. It's a trailing metric. So the IPI score, the inventory performance index score is based on your metrics from 90 days, 60 days, and 30 days ago from what I've seen. So you can't change it immediately. So my advice is to err on the side of caution. Make sure you keep that, that channel open to get as much stock into your FBA warehouses as you can. Now we've mentioned lead time. Lead time is really one of the critical factors in Amazon inventory management. And wow, has that been a difficult area over the last two or three years? So what does lead time mean in shipping festival? Well, it means how long it takes between an action being requested and stock moving to the next stage. So here are the parts of the supply chain where lead time is normally measured. First of all, manufacturing lead time. That's the time between placing an order and the goods being finished or delivered to the factory gates, whatever you want to call it. And learning how to reduce lead time in manufacturing is mission critical. It's hard. If you push people too hard, sometimes the quality goes down. But if you don't push people at all, sometimes they'll put you to the back of the queue. So that is an ongoing thing. We could spend a whole episode talking about that, but we'll move on for now. Second thing, shipping lead time or the freight lead time. That's the time it takes the goods to go from the factory gates to your third party warehouse or your home or whatever. That has been super variable under COVID in the last couple of years. It seems to be stabilizing touch wood, cross my fingers in mid 2022. I'm not going to guarantee that it will, though, because there's a lot of rolling lockdowns in China and many of us still get our goods made in China. And even if they're made in somewhere like India, whatever, there could be a resurgence of COVID and there could be, depending on the region where you're shipping from, disruptions caused by regional conflicts, such as that if you're shipping anything out of Turkey, right now that should be okay. But if the Ukraine war spreads a bit, there's lots of factors. So... The stability that many of us have had, the luxury of experiencing with shipping time until about 2020 may somewhat be a thing of the past. And again, you've got to make a nuanced judgment about this. Talk to your peers, keep up with the press in your industry. And uh, I say the press, listen to me, old school, in reading papers is fine, but keep up with the news in your industry. And you've got to make a judgment about that. The next thing, inbound shipping lead time. This only applies if you use the FBA or fulfillment by Amazon system, which I suggest most of us should. I mean, the title of the podcast is Amazing FBA because it is amazing. And most of the time, it's the best option for most of us if you're going to bother selling on Amazon. 
And the time for goods to move from your third-party warehouse or receiving warehouse to Amazon's warehouses varies quite a bit because of geography, especially if you sell in the United States because it's huge. So it can take quite a bit of time for your goods to get into distant warehouses. If it's if your goods land in LA port, for example, and they get shipped to the East Coast, that can take a bit of time. And you, again, need to make a judgment of how important that's going to be, how impactful that's going to be. And then finally is the Amazon inventory prep time. This is normally almost so small that it's nothing. It's 24 to 48 hours because they're super efficient. But if you do it in Q4 or other peak times, it could be as bad as two or three weeks. So that's when it has to be added up. So your total lead time is really normally counted from when you've paid money or put in a purchase order if you don't have if you've got a relationship with your supplier, which means that you don't have to put a deposit down for them to trust you and manufacture stuff, which can be achieved after a while, not normally initially, then it's either the purchase order being taken seriously and manufacturing starts or you pay your deposit from that point to the point where it can be sold is the total lead time. And just to break down again to so the lead time equals the manufacturing lead time plus shipping lead time or freight lead time plus inbound shipping lead time plus Amazon inventory prep time. That's the basics of it. If you're doing FBM, Fulfilled by Merchant, you can skip the inbound shipping to Amazon and the inventory prep time there. Okay, so so far we've dealt with lead time and we've dealt with how much inventory is on hat. Now we're getting into the murkier waters of forecasting sales. So learning how to forecast sales using historical data is not just 100% science. Let's be honest, it does include art, it was a black art, and that said, using data as a starting point and as a check on your theories to see if you're not misguiding yourself or kidding yourself is really important. When people start out, they often use a rule like the next 30 days sales are going to be about the last 30 days. And that's better than using your intuition. That's pretty primitive and not likely to be accurate. You might get a feel after you've been in business for a couple of years, at least, that a Q4 month for you is typical month times 200%. That's not a bad rule of thumb. But that's also likely to be a bit primitive as well. June sales this year are likely to be last year's sales times 1.3 because we've added a couple of product lines. Again, not a bad starting point, but usually that's not enough. You need to base your forecast on the best quality data you can get. Otherwise, you'll like to find yourself either overstocked in inventory with all that cash tied up and possible penalties from Amazon, plus the costs of storing it in warehouses, which I haven't even mentioned. And Amazon will penalize you with storage fees as well. Or you can find yourself out of stock in your best sellers. Both of them are terrible for cash flow and going out of stock is really awful for sales and profit and ranking. So once again, it's really worth not being lazy about this and be meticulous and educate yourself and get the best data you can. Now, a little word about the limitations of forecasting revenue based on historical data. You must be realistic about the true value of your personal historical data. The value of data for any product line, not so much for business, but for a product line, will depend on how long the product's been selling for. And I would just split it into three approximate groups. If it's less than three months or so, you haven't accounted for seasonality. If you've sold something from February to February, March, April, then you haven't had a summer, you haven't had a Q4. And if your product's a summer peak season item like camping equipment or a Christmas peak item like most things, including toys, for example, then you may badly misjudge the amount of inventory you need. If you've only sold for three months that included, you know, December and November, you may mad badly overestimate the amount of stock you need. So that's the first thing. 
if you've been selling for 100 year, okay, when I say not you, I mean this particular product. I don't care if you've personally been selling for 10 years, but if you've been selling a particular product for under a year and you haven't sold singular products, probably that caveat. Yeah, you've got some perspective. You'll have a low and high month or months, but you haven't got year-on-year comparison yet. So you can still end up with poor predictions. And that's particularly true if you've never sold this product or a similar product in a peak season, for example, in Q4 for most products. So it's common for peak months to double or triple an average month, but it's not guaranteed. So then you end up in a bit of a dilemma there. And then the third category is if you have well over a year's data, and that should give you year-on-year comparisons, which is much more reliable, but you cannot take last year as a blind template for this year, particularly in the last two or three years. I mean, 2020 summer was a crazy time for sales because everyone is in lockdown in the UK and US and a lot of Europe anyway. 2021 was more variable. Summer 2022 in the UK, US, again, people seem to be pushing off on all the flights to exotic de- destinations. The airports in the UK are absolutely flat out. And the money was being spent on e-commerce and retail, physical goods, because people are stuck at home, is now going back to where it used to be before the pandemic lockdowns, which is services, especially holidays, travel, and to some extent, restaurants, cafes, bars, etc. So in a choppy situation like this, year-on-year comparisons can give you a pretty bum steer. So... If you have little data or shortage time periods, you have to take your internal data with a pinch of salt. So what on earth is the solution? So I think you just need to um, look at the category you're selling in. A very specific category. I'm not saying if you sell toys in general, that you just take the general trends in the toys market. That's better than nothing. But I really think you should look at the precise type of products and monitor your competitor's sales over time. And then you can see precise trends within your market niche. So if you take your internal data and blend it with your market data, market being very specific for a very specific set of keywords, that will give you a much better chance of forecasting demand well. In the end, the global economic outlook or your interpretation of it and your knowledge of your industry or your understanding of where it's at have to factor in as well. Right now, again, in mid 2022 July, we are talking about inflation that's heading towards double digits in the US, UK, probably mainland Europe as well soon. And you've got to make a judgment of how you think that's going to affect consumer behavior. And guess what? It's hard to be absolutely precise with this stuff. That's why it's a black art, not a science. Nobody gets it right 100% of the time or gets it 100% any of the time, but it's worth sweating over. The more accurately you can predict, The more accurately you can predict, the better your business will be. And if you're better at predicting than your competition over time, you'll be amazed how much market share you can take off them, how many sales you can take off them, and how much better your cash flow and profits will be. So it's an amazing investment to learn the skill or to hire amazing people. Let's talk about safety stock. Now, safety stock, there are complex formula formulas out there. I'm not going to get into higher maths today. I'm not really qualified, but also I think you need to take your own predictions with a pinch of salt. I would suggest that in a time of great uncertainty, you just simply need more safety stock than you would at another time. So if you think that there's a margin of error in your calculations based on experience or the experience of other people in your industry, and this is when if you're relatively early stages, like I would say in the first two or three years of selling, having people who've been around the block for 10 years really does help or for a lifetime indeed in some cases, 
But I would say you've got to come up with a rule of thumb about this. If you're shipping something from China and you think the lead time from putting money down to manufacturing is three months, so that's the shortest lead time you can get, well, you have to think about how much capital you've got. And if you haven't got much capital, you have to be a bit scantier with the amount of inventory you order, and that includes the safety stock. And you have to be prepared for yourself to go out of stock. Or if you're, you're ordering a bestseller that sells very well, has a really consistent sales history, and you've got the capital to afford to invest in it, then you probably want bigger safety stock and a bigger order. So there are nuances to all these things, and I can't give you a blanket rule of thumb, but if in doubt, think of a number and then, you know, increase it if you can afford to do so. It's my best step. In the end, you end up with payoffs. Like any real strategy, you actually have payoffs. There's cash and there's stock, and you can't have both unless you have a lot of debt, in which case you've got debt. Well, guess what? You're going to have to, one of those things is going to have to give, and that's a wider business strategy. But safety stock is really critical because really safety stock says, I know that I'm not going to get this right. And then the side on which you air depends on your cash position, how good a seller it is as well. Now, if you, I just want to talk briefly, having talked about the main factors involved in this, about how to practically go about this stuff. If you'll be on the first 10,000 or 20,000 in revenue or so, or getting into two digits of SKUs, it's probably time to move up from doing something on a spreadsheet for a few reasons. First of all, it's very labor intensive. It demands good skill and thus real cost. Either you have to learn it as the business owner operator, and thus you're taking time when you aren't working on really growing the business. You're working on a really critical operational thing, absolutely critical, but you're not actually adding product lines or sales channels or marketing channels. Manual prediction is often not amazingly good. And spreadsheets also are static, which means you've got to constantly update them, but it's not really accounted for change over time on a daily basis. So the next stage really is to consider using Amazon inventory management. And you're going to have to probably pay some money for this. And if you've been doing it yourself and not accounting for your own value of your time, then you are not being realistic because you, just because you haven't Account of your time doesn't mean there wasn't an opportunity cost. And if you're going to scale your business and grow it or sell it on to somebody else, they will have to employ somebody to replace you. And that will cost usual hard money to pay for labor. So given that inventory management software will cost a little bit of money, you should be prepared to pay for that. The traditional solution is a rules-based management software. It's semi-automated and it's still based on rules. So similar to spreadsheets with a little bit flex less flexibility. It's a little bit primitive though. Rules-based is based on rules of thumb, which don't necessarily respond to reality very well. Also, it probably treats all products as equally valuable. And that's really bad news. Just sweating to restock everything as if it's equally important doesn't correspond to reality. So everyone's heard of the 80-20 rule, but one master my member gratified me by actually going away and do what I suggested, which is doing an 80-20 analysis of their profits on the different product lines. And at that point, they had about 300 product lines in Amazon. They had many off Amazon, but about 10 of them were giving about half of their profit. And that's in fact, pure 80-20. And yet most of us don't get around to this because we don't have the time. They've got quite a big star. So they had the luxury of the time to analyze things. So really identifying which products are giving a good return on investment is the next level up of stock management. And that's really important because in the end, your business is a money 
magnifying machine. To some extent, it's a profit-making machine, but I would argue that an Amazon-based inventory type business is not amazing at producing free cash flow, but what it is amazing at doing is, is taking a value of money at the beginning of it and turning it into a much, much bigger value at the end of the process when you sell your business, which is when you'll get the majority of your cash that you ever make. So making sure that the return on the investment is great, the best it can be, is super critical. And therefore, deciding which products to restock and in what quantities and where to focus your capital, where to buy six months worth of stock, because going out of stock would crater your profits as a whole, for example, how much buffer stock, all those are critical questions. So you really need to think about how much stock you need for each product, what the budget is for it, and which products are going to get you the biggest return on your cash. So this is a, a capital allocation problem, which is similar to the issue that people in the investing world have. And they say in the investing world that asset allocation, as in the type of assets that you um, invest your money in, gives you a big percentage of the probability of success, the safety of your investment portfolio, and the size of it in the end. And I think the same is true for your portfolio of products as well. So this is super important. It's uh, beyond the scope of this podcast for me to say very much about this, except that some things are really obvious. If you've got a product that is selling twice as much as your other com products combined, and sometimes you can end up with that with a small catalog, then you really should be focusing your mind and money on restocking that product much more seriously than something that's not selling at all, which brings us to the other thing of the sunk cost fallacy, which turns up here, which is, oh, but if I just did X, I'm sure that product should work. I put so much time and energy into it. Well, guess what? If the market is not saying we love this product X, but they're saying I love product A, there's a hint there, folks. You need to put the money where the market actually wants the products. That's a whole different discussion, but I'm just saying that. So inventory management software at the next stage up, really, when you're doing twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month of sales, when you're over twenty, thirty SKUs, you probably need to be moving up to a proper inventory management system that is not only not a spreadsheet, but is based on algorithms, not just rules, and based on solid data. We've already discussed the limitations of using data only from our own seller central account. So ideally that system should gather data from as many other Amazon seller accounts in your category as possible. And it needs to be a system that learns based on results as well, shows you how much cash is going to be required to restock and which products get you the highest return, all the stuff we've been discussing. Um, so machine learning inventory management software could give you one of the biggest and quickest profit increases there is. So just make sure that the, a system like this ticks a couple of boxes. First of all, machine learning, AI or artificial intelligence is a slightly overused term these days with Amazon-based software. Um, machine learning means that it's going to adjust, the machine is going to adjust its behavior over time based on results as opposed to rules-based. That's the essence of what you need. Also, there are two other components that it should tie into. And at this point, you're probably thinking, oh my goodness, Mike, more to absorb. Yes, sorry. This is reality. If you want to make money in the real world, you have to wrap your head around this stuff or begin to. So the two other components that affect inventory management and are affected by it are number one, pricing. So if you lower your price to get sales, but you run out of stock, overall, you're going to make lower profits. So if you raise your price and you stay in stock because say your stock's delayed or something, then you'll actually not only make more profits during the period where your price is raised, 
but because you don't go out of stock, you make more sales and profits overall. So pricing is the flip side of inventory management. And we all know this from the primitive version is, oh my goodness, I'm going to run out of stock in a week and we put our prices up for $10 in one go, which is a seriously primitive and bad idea because if you do that, you might lose the buy box. And yes, you can lose the buy box if you're a private label seller. And then hardly anyone's going to buy it. It's going to create your sales by 80% on average normally. So you already know from doing it the wrong way that pricing is a flip side of stock management. But what you need is a system that integrates that. If you're trying to do that manually, you can do it to a point, but it will drive you crazy if you've got too many SKUs. So at that point, you need competent software or possibly outsource it. The other thing is, of course, advertising. Now, if you're hardly spending money on ads, that's probably not going to be important. But many of us spend an awful lot of money on ads to drive sales, and then we overdo it and we go out of stock. Well, you've not only lost money because you spent money on ads that you didn't need to spend because you were selling enough to go out of stock. Therefore, you were selling enough relative to your amount of stock that you were, you'd reach the capacity of your stock to make you profits. But also you've gone out of stock. So that loses you money again. So really being mindful of how much stock you have, the pricing and the ad spend and an ad approach, they all need to be integrated really. And the, the easiest way in some ways is to create, is to use a dynamic software system. As long as you don't, you delegate, don't abdicate, right? You're still responsible. You still need to monitor it. You need to set up sensible goals. If you tell a system or if for that matter, a person that your goal is to sell as much as possible. And I've heard people give their agencies, PPC agencies, that instruction. Well, guess what? They're just going to reduce the price and spend crazy amounts on ads. That's definitely the easiest way to drive revenue. That's not hard. But you didn't say profitable sales or set a goal of a profit percentage. And that's the sort of thing I mean. You have to have an integrated way of thinking, whether you're doing this manually or delegating it to people or using machines. So you, you have no choice but to really think this stuff through. If you're going to delegate to a machine or a system, the best people in this system area are simply either guru. And they say that because there is some very good inventory management systems out there and people that I've spoken to who I respect, but they don't integrate pricing and Amazon ads. And for that simple reason, I just think those systems are second tier. They're not good enough to really deal with the complex job in a dynamic environment. So eva.guru is the people that I recommend. If you go to amazingfba.com forward slash eva, you can get some reductions if you go through there as well. I think if you get 50 off, the promo code get 50 off, then you can get 50% off your first month. Plus they have a 15 day free trial. So that's one particular solution, but let's just backtrack a bit. So whether you use that particular solution or another software or do it manually, let's do a quick recap on what we need to talk about. First of all, why does this stuff matter? Profit, cash in your pocket, cash flow, and valuable exit in the future. All of that is much more dependent on inventory management than you probably thought. That's why it's so important. The two big areas that you can fall into are going overstock. You're tying up money in stock you don't need. That's terrible for working capital cash. Probably means you need to borrow, may do. It's inefficient. Your business is less sellable. It's less desirable. Being out of stock means you have zero sales in that particular product line, maybe many product lines for that exact, that entire period you're out of stock. No profit, no cash flow. You're giving your competitors sales. You're giving the market share. You're losing keyword ranking. You're losing future growth and you're losing future value of the business. There's a lot of bad things. 
Forecasting inventory is tricky. You need, first of all, to have inventory or stock control. Know how much inventory you've got, where it is in the supply chain. You need to learn how to forecast sales using historical data, your own and preferably other people's as well. You have to have safety stock, and that's relative to your financial resources and how strong you think a particular product line is. And you need to think about the lead time and integrate all of that into your calculations, not only for your safety stock, but when you should reorder, what the reorder point is. And that's another thing we didn't mention. Reorder point is really when you say, I've got a month, I've got four months worth of sales. My safety stock's a month. The lead time is three months conservatively. Maybe in the best it's been two, but you're going to say three for safety. So when you get to four months worth of inventory or less, you're going to go and reorder. So that's your reorder point. Something I should have mentioned there as well. So there's a lot that goes into this. It's not something you're going to learn overnight, but it's a trade skill like anything else. As my friend and colleague Jason Miles says about a lot of these things, these are e-commerce operator trade skills. And this is a trade skill you simply have to get on top of. You're going to master it overnight. Uh, this is degree level stuff. Literally, inventory management is complex. But um, you can start today improving your systems. And here's what I would say. The great news is if you've never taken any care of this at all, you're going to see a big improvement in your understanding and probably in your management of your inventory straight away. And if you've got a sort of basic understanding or you're already using spreadsheets, then moving up to the next level, being perhaps inspired to check out some inventory management software might take your game to the next level in terms of accuracy and precision. And look, if you're just running a seven-figure business doing a million dollars a year, if you get this right, it could add an extra $100,000 to your bottom line. I mean, it really could transform your business if going out of stock has been a big part of the picture. For many of us, it has been in the last couple of years. So on the one hand, I would say sorry to do something so technical and talk so much in detail. But on the other hand, I don't really apologize because I think this is so important. I, in my nerdy way, feel really happy to be helping you with this stuff. So if you want to check out on the blog, there's a very detailed blog post that goes with this at 10kcollective.com. It'll be well worth your while visiting that. Just look for Amazon Inventory Management is the title of the post. That's it from me. Thank you so much for your patience as ever. Thank you listening for listening to me for so long and in so much detail. Get in touch if you've got thoughts. People send me emails or Facebook messages. You're welcome to send me either. Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at amazingfba.com is my email. Don't pitch me there, please. If you're trying to sell me something, send it to admin at amazingfba.com to my assistant. And if you want to bring me a quick Facebook message, if we're Facebook friends or you want to try getting through to me that way, I'd love to hear from you that way as well. The final thing to say is two things. Number one, don't forget to subscribe and we'd have a podcast player of choice you use or our YouTube channel where we've got just over 1,060 subscribers. I think now it's quite small, but we're not really a YouTube guy. Some people prefer to get it there. And if you are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a rating out of five stars. That would be super helpful. Final request is if you are on Apple Podcasts and you can leave us a quick review that would be amazing. It just helps other people like yourself know what it is that they're dealing with and make a judgment of whether this is going to be helpful to them or not. Thank you so much for listening and speak to you in the next show.